Chapters 9 to 12 of De Monarchia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. De Monarchia by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Aurelia Henry Reinhardt. Book 1 Whether Temporal Monarchy is Necessary for the Well Being of the World. Chapter 9 Men, as the sons of heaven, should follow in the footprints of heaven. Likewise, every son acts well and for the best, when, as far as his individual nature permits, he follows in the footsteps of a perfect father, as man and the son generate man, according to the second book of natural learning, the human race is the son of heaven, which is absolutely perfect in all its works. Therefore mankind acts for the best when it follows in the footprints of heaven, as far as its distinctive nature permits. Now, human reason apprehends most clearly through philosophy that the entire heaven, in all its parts, its movements, and its motors, is controlled by a single motion, the primum mobile, and by a single mover, God. Then, if our syllogism is correct, the human race is best ordered when, in all its movements and motors, it is controlled by one prince as by one mover, by one law as by one motion. On this account, it is manifestly essential for the well-being of the world that there should exist a monarchy or unified principality which men call the empire. This truth Boethius sighed for in the words, O race of men, how blessed! Did the love which rules the heavens rule likewise your minds? Chapter 10 In order to settle all disputes, a supreme judge is necessary. Whenever strife is a possibility, in that place must be judgment. Otherwise imperfection would exist without its perfecting agent. This could not be, for God and nature are not wanting in necessary things. It is self-evident that, between any two princes, neither of whom owes allegiance to the other, controversy may arise either by their fault or by the fault of their subjects. For such, judgment is necessary, and inasmuch as one owing no allegiance to the other can recognize no authority in him, for an equal cannot control an equal, there must be a third prince, with more ample jurisdiction, who may govern both within the circle of his right. This prince will be, or will not be, a monarch. If he is, our purpose is fulfilled. If not, he will again have a co-equal beyond the circle of his jurisdiction, and again a third prince will be required. And thus either the process will be carried to infinity, which is impossible, or that primal and highest judge will be reached, by whose judgments all disputes are settled, mediately or immediately. And this judge will be monarch or emperor. Monarchy is therefore indispensable to the world, and this truth the philosopher saw when he said, Things have no desire to be wrongly ordered. Inasmuch as a multitude of princedoms is wrong, let there be one prince. Chapter 11 the world is best ordered when in it justice is pre-eminent. Further, the world is disposed for the best when justice reigns therein. Wherefore, 
desiring to glorify that age which seemed to be dawning in his own day, Virgil sang in his bucolics, Now doth the virgin return, and the kingdoms of Saturn. For they called Justice the virgin, and called her also Astrea. The kingdoms of Saturn meant those happiest times which men named the Age of Gold. Justice is pre-eminent only under a monarch. Therefore, that the world may be disposed for the best, there is needed a monarchy or empire. To make the assumption plain, it must be understood that justice, considered in itself and in its distinctive nature, is a certain directness or rule of action, avoiding the oblique on either side, and refusing the comparison of more or less in degree, as whiteness considered in the abstract. Certain forms of this kind, though present in compounds, consist in themselves of simple and invariable essence, as the master of the six principles rightly claims. Yet such qualities admit the comparison of more or less in degree, as regards the subjects in which they are mingled, when more or less of the qualities opposites are mixed therein. Therefore, when, with justice, is intermixed a minimum of its opposite, both as to disposition and operation, there justice reigns. Truly, then may be applied to her the words of the philosopher. Neither Hesperus, the star of evening, nor Lucifer, the star of morning, is so wonderfully fair. Then, indeed, she is like to Phoebe beholding her brother across the circle of the heavens from the purple of morn serene. Man's disposition to justice may meet opposition in the will, for when will is not wholly unstained by cupidity, even if justice be present, she may not appear in the perfect splendour of her purity, having encountered a quality which resists her to some degree, be it never so little. So it is right to repulse those who attempt to impassion a judge. In its operation, man's justice may meet opposition through want of power, for since justice is a virtue involving other persons, how can one act according to its dictates without the power of allotting to each man what belongs to him? It is obvious from this that in proportion to the just man's power will be the extent of his exercise of justice. From our exposition we may proceed to argue thus. Justice is most effective in the world when present in the most willing and powerful man. Only a monarch is such a man. Therefore justice, subsisting in a sole monarch, is the most effective in the world. This prosyllogism runs through the second figure with intrinsic negation, and is like this. All B is A. Only C is A. Therefore only C is B. That is, all B is A. Nothing except C is A. Therefore nothing except C is B. The former statement is apparent from the forerunning explanation. The latter, first, in regard to the will, second, in regard to the power, is unfolded thus. In regard to the will, it must first be noted that the worst enemy of justice is cupidity, as Aristotle signifies in the fifth book to Nicomachus. When cupidity is removed altogether, nothing remains inimical to justice. Hence, fearful of the influence of cupidity, which easily distorts men's minds, the philosopher grew to believe that whatever can be determined by law 
should in no wise be relegated to a judge. Cupidity is impossible when there is nothing to be desired, for passions cease to exist with the destruction of their objects. Since his jurisdiction is bounded only by the ocean, there is nothing for a monarch to desire. This is not true of the other princes, whose realms terminate in those of others, as does the king of Castile's in that of the king of Aragon. So we conclude that among mortals the purest object for the indwelling of justice is the monarch. Moreover, to the extent, however small, that cupidity clouds the mental attitude towards justice, charity, or right love, clarifies and brightens it. In whomever, therefore, right love can be present to the highest degree, in him can justice find the most effective place. Such is the monarch, in whose person justice is, or may be, most effective. That right love acts, as we have said, may be shown in this way. Avarice, scorning man's competency, seeks things beyond him. But charity, scorning all else, seeks God and man, and therefore the good of man. And since to live in peace is chief of man's blessings, as we said before, and since this is most fully and easily accomplished by justice, charity will make justice thrive greatly. With her strength will the other grow strong. That right love should indwell in a monarch more than in all men beside, reveals itself thus. Everything loved is the more loved the nearer it is to him who loves. Men are nearer to the monarch than to other princes, therefore they are, or ought to be most loved by him. The first statement is obvious if we call to mind the nature of patience and agents. The second, if we perceive that men approach other princes in their partial aspect, but a monarch in their totality. And again, men approach other princes through the monarch, and not conversely, and thus the guardianship of the world is primary and immediate with the monarch, but with other princes it is mediate, deriving from the supreme care of the monarch. Moreover, the more universal a cause, the more does it possess the nature of a cause, for the lower cause is one merely by virtue of the higher, as is patent from the treatise on causes. The more a cause is a cause, the more it loves its effect, for such love pursues its cause for its own sake. As we have said, princes are causes merely by virtue of the monarch. Then among mortals he is the most universal cause of man's well-being, and the good of man is loved by him above all others. Who doubts now that a monarch is most powerfully equipped for the exercise of justice? None, save he who understands not the significance of the word, for a monarch can have no enemies. The assumed proposition being therefore sufficiently explained, the conclusion is certain that monarchy is indispensable for the best ordering of the world. Chapter 12. Humanity is ordered for the best when most free. If the principle of freedom is explained, it will be apparent that the human race is ordered for the best when it is most free. Observe, then, those words which are on the lips of many, but in the minds of few, that the basic principle of our freedom is freedom of the will. Men come even to the point of saying that free will is free judgment in matters of will, and they say true. 
but the import of their words is far from them, as from our logicians, who work daily with certain propositions used as examples in books of logic. For instance, that a triangle has three angles, equaling two right angles. Judgment, I affirm, stands between apprehension and desire. For first a thing is apprehended, then the apprehension is adjudged good or bad, and finally he who so judges pursues or avoids it. So if judgment entirely controls desire, and is hindered by it in no way, judgment is free, but if desire influences judgment by hindering it in some manner, judgment cannot be free, for it acts not of itself, but is dragged captive by another. Thus brutes cannot have free judgment, for their judgments are always hindered by appetite. And thus intellectual substances, whose wills are immutable, and disembodied souls, who have departed in peace, do not lose freedom of the will by reason of this immutability, but retain it in greatest perfection and power. With this in mind, we may understand that this freedom, or basic principle of our freedom, is, as I said, the greatest gift bestowed by God upon human nature, for through it we attain to joy here as men, and to blessedness there as gods. If this is so, who will not admit that mankind is best ordered when able to use this principle most effectively? But the race is most free under a monarch. Wherefore let us know that the philosopher holds in his book concerning simple being, that whatever exists for its own sake, and not for the sake of another, is free. For whatever exists for the sake of another is conditioned by that other as a road by its terminus. Only if a monarch rules can the human race exist for its own sake. Only if a monarch rules can the crooked policies be straightened, namely democracies, oligarchies, and tyrannies, which force mankind into slavery, as he sees who goes among them, and under which kings, aristocrats called the best men, and zealots of popular liberty, play at politics. For since a monarch loves men greatly, a point already touched upon, he desires all men to do good, which cannot be among players at crooked policies. Whence the philosopher, in his politics, says, Under bad government, the good man is a bad citizen, but under upright government, good man and good citizen have the same meaning. Upright governments have liberty as their aim, that men may live for themselves, not citizens for the sake of the consuls, nor a people for a king, but, conversely, consuls for the sake of the citizens, and a king for his people. As governments are not all established for the sake of laws, but laws for governments, so those living under the laws are not ordered for the sake of the legislator, but rather he for them, as the philosopher maintains in what he has left us concerning the present matter. Wherefore, it is also evident that although consul or king may be lord of others with respect to means of governing, they are servants with respect to the end of governing, and without doubt the monarch must be held the chief servant of all. Now it becomes clear that a monarch is conditioned in the making of laws by his previously determined end. Therefore the human race existing under a monarch is best ordered, and from this it follows that a monarchy is essential to the well-being of the world. 
End of section three.